1: and welcome to another edition of Tunnel. A show brought to you by USCFootball.com. I'm your host Keely You're joined by Ryan Abraham and Shotgun Spratling. We have a lot to talk about tonight. <laughs> so much has happened since Friday. It's crazy trying to put it all together. First off, USC lost to Oregon at home in the Pac-12 Championship Game, 31 to 24. We'll get into that. We'll talk about what happened next. USC decided to opt out of a potential bowl game, so they're done. USC ends the 2020 season five and one. We'll talk about that on the whole. What did this season mean for the Trojan football program? And then we'll, we'll talk about what happens next. Where does USC go now? Uh, well, there's a lot of questions about that, and I know they probably start with Clay and with Helton, so we'll get into that. I know a lot of people have questions about that. And wherever you are, wherever you're watching, YouTube, Facebook, or Periscope, put your comments, questions, concern. We'll do our best to answer them. You can also call us 5124 tunnel or intern Micah, who's great, is standing by to talk to y'all and screen your calls. You can also tweet at us, hashtag tunnel vision, and I'll put your tweet up on the screen. Uh, but guys, like I said, it has been—it's hard to believe that the game was Friday. It feels like it's been a while. Just you know, trying to get a sense of, of where everything stands the last couple days. Uh, first off, I guess overall thoughts from the game, Shotgun. Let's start with you. Have you watched nine million times like you usually do yet? <laughs>
2: I've I've watched once. You know, just uh, there wasn't too much to take away from it, different than on Friday night. Um, I give the offensive line a little bit more credit than I did on Friday night. They gave Keaton Slova some time. However, the pocket was being pushed back in his lap a ton. Uh, it looked a lot like Oregon knew exactly what was coming. You know how coaches always, there's always the script of plays that they start a game with. You know, there's that old story about Mike Leach when he was at Oklahoma dropping a fake script. And then Texas trying to, you know, call plays against that and they've been able to score a bunch of points real quick when he was insisted there. It felt like it was the other way around. Like someone snuck in, stole Graham Harrell's script, and Oregon was all over it to begin with. So USC starts in a 14-0 hole uh, with Oregon just their defense being on every single play every time. That's why Keaton Slovis didn't have anywhere, you know, was getting pressured because the offense line was giving them enough time normal for a normal throw. But then, you know, everything's covered up consistently over and over to begin with. And then the USC offense started going a little bit. But, you know, I, I wrote just kind of a short thing to go in my photos, uh, you know, my photo gallery that I did. They said it was kind of a game of inches. You know, baseball's known as that. Football's more of a game of yards. But there were just those inch plays that USC has been getting all season, they didn't get. You know, the, the ball, Talanoa, Hufunga, is, is tipped around and he can't come up the interception. Next play, touchdown. You know, Drake London can't get his feet down on the third down catch, you know, so they have to settle for a field goal. Um, you know, the the... Uh, Tyler Shuck on third down, his the final throw that he makes, he th- just kind of throws it up, trying to throw it out of bounds, and it goes just over Isaac Pullum, uh, Isaiah Polamal's Pullum- hands and through Kanai Malgas. Could have been an interception, gave, giving USC the ball down inside the 15-yard line. Keaton Slovis tries to throw it away. Guy makes a great play. So there's these small things. So when, when Clay Helton says, hey, we're close, yeah, they're close to winning a Pac-12 championship. They're not close, anywhere close to being in a college football playoff. You know, that's they're being close to winning against a team that should have been up probably like thirty-five-seven early, um, and a team that is number twenty-five in the college football playoff. They're nowhere close to being in the college football playoff. They're nowhere close to being in the national championship. So they're close, according to Clay Hilton. That's what he said afterwards, uh, and they are to to an extent. They're close to a Pac-12 championship against
3: a bad team. Uh, shotgun, I'll correct you. They're close to a Pac-12 championship in a pandemic era where they only have to play half of their schedule <laughs> and they don't have to play the best team in the South and they don't have to play the best team in the North. Then, then they were close to winning a championship with all of those factors. True,
2: yes.
1: Ryan, <laughs> what were your thoughts? I know you wrote a column about that. We'll get to the topic of your column in a yeah. bit, but I, I think my my whole thing, Ryan, was if you were surprised by this outcome, you weren't watching this season close enough because it just seemed like USC was outrunning mistakes, and they finally caught up against uh, caught up to them against Oregon. You know, when you play a team that matches you in talent and, and is well coached, it doesn't really go well.
3: Yeah, I mean, it's sort of like if you're you're speeding a lot and you're not getting any tickets, you're like, oh, you know, I can just speed whenever I want. And then all all of a sudden you get a ticket, you're like, what happened? Like, well, you were speeding all the time and you were kind of living dangerously. USC was living dangerously. And when you have a team, you remember those Stanford teams uh, that they would just run the football, like they're great with the lead, not necessarily great from a come from behind team. USC, with all that offensive talent, they should not have been playing this field position game, trying to catch up to this Oregon squad. You want to put those teams in a position to have to play out of their comfort zone. Tyler Shuck didn't even throw for 100 yards in this game. I mean, you're talking about an opposing quarterback doesn't throw for 100 yards and you can't beat them? Like, there's, this is a high-powered offense. you got the best receivers in the conference, some of the best in the country. You have to score way more points than what they did. They couldn't run the football, 28 carries, 38 yards. When you have a limited team, and this was a limited Oregon team that didn't even have their best running back out there, there's problems, and I, th- these are the problems, like Keeley said, we've seen throughout the year. So the 1-0 and talk and the, you know, you, know, you know, barely getting a win over Arizona, which is the worst team that we've seen in a while. There are a 12-game losing streak. Like, USC needed, like, a lucky play at the end of the game to beat Arizona. You know there's problems. And I feel like, you know, there's some disingenuous talk coming from Clay Helton about this team and how close they are and all that stuff. This hasn't been a very good team, and they weren't close to the college football playoff. I meant what I said when I said enjoy the win over UCLA. That was a game USC could have easily lost, obviously. Enjoy that win because there might not be any more, you know, bright moments for this USC football team. Little did I know there wasn't going to be any for the rest of the year because, you know, they didn't win the signing day battle with Oregon. They lose the game on Friday night, and then they opt out of a bowl game, and they're done with the season. So we've gone from – and Shotgun talked about this, but we're, you know, walking into the, the studio today. We're sort of like this roller coaster up. Not a great roller coaster. I'm just kind of slow. And then there's no doubt. It just fell off. Like, the roller coaster just ended. The season ended. Boom. All of a sudden, you you lose to Oregon. Everyone's, like, upset with, you know, the administration, upset with the coaching staff. And all of a sudden, nope, the season's over. And you just walk away. You're like, what the heck happened? This team was 5-0. and And you were trying to get in to talk about the college football playoff. And now it's just done So, very, I, you know, very disappointing season. I think it's a failure of a season because there were so many advantages USC's way. It's not like the team had to go out and play like Stanford did the beginning of the season without Davis Mills because of a false positive. Uh, you know, they got to play with their best players in any game they got to play in. They got to avoid I mean, the best teams. You know, sure. Is there any t- who who missed the game that was like this is the, the biggest? You know, Keaton Slovis didn't miss a game. I mean, he having your
1: offensive line not practice. Because of quarantine, that yeah. definitely changes things. We saw
3: Ohio State play; you know, run for sure. 300 yards when they were doing that. So sure. I mean, this, you know, and they they won that game. So I mean, it's not like that. Yeah. That you know, they had yeah. a lot of advantages. They, their COVID sucked for everybody. It's awful. It's the, been the worst year we can all any of us can remember. But as far as the football gods go, USC sort of got. You know, they didn't have to play Notre Dame. They, they have two playoff teams on their schedule, Alabama and Notre Dame. They didn't have to <laughs> yeah. play them, you know. Yeah. They didn't have to go on the road and play Oregon. They avoided playing Washington twice in the original schedule and then in the Pac-12 championship game. And they didn't have to even play Colorado, who ends up being the best team in the South. There was a lot of advantages for USC, and they certainly didn't take advantage of them. That's why I say you need, this was a win the Pac-12 or bust. If you won the Pac-12, I'd be like, you know what? That's cool. It was a weird year. You did what you needed to do. They did not do what they needed to do this year. So that's why I say it's a failure.
1: Shocking, where do you weigh in on that?
2: There's some disadvantages for them, too. I mean, three games in 13 days, yep. the injury started piling up towards the end, and that's what happens when you play, you know, several games in a short stretch compared to your opponent having a week off. Even if they are a little shorthanded, you know, they didn't have any of their big stars out. Verdell being out, they still had Die back there. Um, so they're, they're, it kind of evens out there, so I don't I – don't, say oh they were completely disadvantaged don't say they got all the advantages the scheduling they definitely had an advantage there you know not playing alabama not playing notre dame and then not playing oregon on the road getting them at home you know that should lead you to have a much better record which it probably did you know being five and one and having you know the you know i think it's 833 win percentage versus you know having those other teams on your schedule you're not going to be as good i don't think so you know it kind of evens out as far as the advantages disadvantages with covid it's, you know, coming down the stretch, this team was, the, the thing is, like, you, after the first game, we said it's the same team, you know, it's the same thing, their deficiencies are the same, it's turnovers, it's penalties, you know, the tackling can be an issue at times, it's, you know, will we, will we see progress, and there's some small signs of it, but it was the same team the entire season, so after the first game, and especially after the Arizona game, you see, there's no chance this team's making it to the playoff college football committee is not going to let that happen. You know, USC got treated like a, a lower class. The PAC 12 got treated like a lower class conference. Um, and you saw what they did to all the lower class conferences uh, today when they released the, the, the final rankings and everything. So there was no way it was going to happen. So it was, it was basically like, this was fun to watch. If you were a college football fan. Now, if you're a USC fan, it's much more difficult to look at it that way. But if you're an outsider, this was a fun team to watch. Every game's exciting. You never know what they're going to do. They could come back in a game. They did it multiple times. They almost came back in this one. They were just a couple plays away from coming back in this one as well. Even though, like I said, Oregon probably should have been up like 28-7, to 35-7 early in this game. If they had a quarterback, this would have been a completely different game. I mean, the second half, they couldn't throw it on third down. It was third <laughs> and eight, the and they ran it three, three or four times on like third and seven, third and eight. Um, because they had no confidence in Shuck, and you saw why. when he almost threw an interception in the, you know, giving the ball to USC in the red zone on a third down play, just throwing it up. Uh, So, you know, it just kind of, it kind of evens out as far as disadvantages, advantages, but overall, this was an entertaining team to watch. Was it a good team? No, but it was, you know, they were fun to watch, definitely. And just, but not for USC fans. And, you know, just kind (laughs) of reiterate what I said after the game in instant analysis is, if you're a USC fan, you watch this team and you see the potential and they just never live up to it consistently. And that's what's so difficult for fans of this team, I think.
1: Well, the problem too, sorry Ryan, I want to okay. get your thoughts on this, is it it's the reason why I'm a little gun shy about seeing saying oh the season was a failure is cuz I feel like that discounts the effort that USC's players put into the season you could tell that they're playing hard um, and trying to overcome maybe the the deficiencies in scheme or coaching and and in that sense Ryan do you feel like these players have been put in a place to succeed
3: no I mean that's the that's the issue right I mean this is about the culture of the program this is about the head coach you've made all the changes you could to the, the staff around Clay Helton and what's the one constant it's Clay Helton and you know, I wrote a year ago about USC needs to move on from Clay Helton. Obviously, they don't. You could write the same thing now. I mean, it's just not – we love Clay Elton as a guy. Uh, I, I don't think he's a championship head coach. You're seeing the same problems over and over again. And until you change the, the, the guy running the show, the culture is not going to change. And that's you know that's where this pro- – you know, there's, there's a culture problem with this team. And that's where you are right now. I think – I like a lot of the staff that was added – um, but you still got you know you still got the main guy running things and that's Clay Helton and r- real quick thing on um, sure so if you're playing from a Saturday to a Saturday or Saturday what is that three games in 15 days so you're losing one extra day like I mean I d- I don't see that as being like the end all be all when you had a bye week. Anyway, so you had, a, you had a week off, you played three games. You in, go in out and
2: play, days. you know, when you get a normal schedule uh, for a football, you have certain days that are acclimated in there to help you rest and reheal your body. When you're a guy like Tylenol Hufunga who's, you know, hitting someone 40 to 60 times a game, it definitely has an impact. So you, when you lose days, just think about when you go out drinking on a, a night and you, you're a little bit hungover and you've lost just a couple hours of sleep, but you went hard the night before it definitely takes an impact on your body the next day does it not no it, i'm sure well it i does. got 6 hours of sleep and you know that's not that much different than when i get 8 hours where well, you did something that was heavy impact the day before and it definitely has an impact on it so I, the, yes the the 3 games in 13 days has an impact losing
3: 2 days of, of rest all right I mean, that's, you want to give them that, that's fine. There's plenty of other advantages that USC had, And I just don't say, you know, people do that a lot. You know, it happens. You play a Friday game. You're going to have one day, you'll have one extra day. They had a week off that they didn't Yes, expect. and
2: normally when you play on a Friday, then you have an extra day of rest. So you get two days extra of rest, you know, or two days of rest versus one going into the next game. So that you heal up instead of being, okay, Well, we're going to just do the reverse. And instead of having an extra day of rest than you would normally have.
3: So I mean, they're 20 years old. They played six games. Like there, there's six games. Like, football I mean, is it's hard. They've is a wear, wear and tear games. sport. They played and six games. Athletes. They are student athletes. But they and they went through
2: games. finals during that time. I know.
3: Right. And then the finals were over, and then they didn't have anything else but play. Football. It has
2: an impact. Is that the one a reason why they lost to Oregon? No. no. Um, did they come out flat in this game? I think so. But again, I, I it looked more to me like Oregon just knew exactly what the USC offense was running, and that's why they came out more flat than anything else. Yeah. Now.
1: It's, it's hard. <laughs> where are to go from here. My question, I want to go big picture and then we can jump back into the game, if you will. Looking at the college football playoff rankings that came out today, obviously the final rankings, uh, Oregon is 25. <laughs> they just slipped in there, but they're not the highest Pac-12 team. Obviously, USC is 17. Now, I want to say this from just an objective point of view. I don't want to say it just because I'm a USC reporter. But doesn't this point back to what if the Pac-12 just did what other conferences are doing and helping out their teams? What if the Pac-12 was just like, you know what? USC, Washington can't go. You're the Pac-12 champion. Here we go. And it, Because if you look at the brand of the Pac-12, it just suffered so much throughout today. It was barely mentioned, and it's kind of just laughed about when uh, I believe Oregon was mentioned as as uh, the Fiesta Bowl uh, person so, or team. So what... W- why isn't the Pac-12 helping its team out? I mean, look at Oregon State. I mean, Ohio State. They moved the the COVID rules just so yeah. that they could play. I mean, <laughs> I know, I know, I sound very biased right now. I would say this if it was any Pac-12 team, but doesn't this go back to help your teams out?
3: Yeah, there's a culture problem in the USC football program, and that starts at the top. And there's the same thing in the Pac-12, and it starts at the top. It starts with Larry Scott. And there's we, you know, I if you remember, Dan Weber and I were at the one of the Pac-12 championship game and. You know, Larry Scott has this press conference, and I was doing something. And I'm like, Dan, can you ask Larry Scott what's more important, uh, parity or having a team in the playoff? Having you know, and he said parity, and then he took a lot of crap for that. Um, but that's it. That's his. That's his real answer. That's his mentality. Not realizing that that's going to upset people. He trotted out uh, the you know the year that the Pac-12 won its 500th national championship, and you know across all sports. At the football media day, the first thing, the first 10 minutes were talked about the the women's rowing team from the University of Washington. Like, those things would not happen in the SEC. That's great accomplishments, tweet it out, do whatever you want. But football media day for the Pac-12, that's what you got to focus on. And they would try to, like, tout everything else. You, and I think he started to figure it out late. He wasn't working with athletic, athletic directors at all. Um, He wasn't focusing on football. He wasn't focusing on the the main teams. He would rather, hey, Oregon State beat USC. That's a great thing. It's like the SEC doesn't say that. The the Big Ten definitely doesn't say that. They've moved everything around so Ohio State at 6-0 can get into the college football playoff. So to me, it's a culture thing with the Pac-12. But USC has to help itself. They weren't going to get the kind of um, aid from the Pac-12 they should have just been granted the, you know, the championship. But you know, going to the Fiesta Bowl and losing to like an Iowa State team, that's probably not going to help the team either. They needed to get more games under their belt, and they were going to play. You're going to eventually play a good team, and once USC played a decent team, they lost. If they played the bowl game, probably going to lose that one too. But USC has to help itself. They have to be the premier program, and then it's going to be the Pac-12's job to kind of build USC up. Around it, but neither side, in my opinion, has done their job. USC has to be the flagship program for the West Coast to get any kind of recognition in college football. And USC hasn't taken care of their business. And then the Pac-12 certainly hasn't either.
2: Yeah, just like Keely said, you know, the Pac-12, if it was on the other foot and it was Oregon that was undefeated and USC was a second place team and Colorado had a drop out or something. Then they still should have done the right thing and given the undefeated team, it just, the cachet that it, it lends for the entire conference rather than having your champion be number 25 is huge. Uh, it's basically what has happened to the Pac-12 is that it has become like a Mac. You know, people watch the MAC cuz it's fun. It's fun to watch it. You know, originally when the MAC, you know, Maxion started, it was Thursday Night Football. There was no other teams playing, you know, had, you wanted to check in just because it was college football and you knew the games would be entertaining. You didn't care who really won or lost. You didn't care who the champion ended up being. It didn't matter on a national stage. That's that's what the Pac-12 has become. It doesn't matter who wins. It's Pac-12 after dark. Get excited. Something kooky is going to happen. This is going to be fun. It's entertaining. And we play into it too because that's the way the games have played out. You know, there's super weird things happen at the end of the game, especially the refs usually help out with some stuff like that. You know, you never know what's going to happen in a Pac-12 game late at night. So you stay up for that if you're on the East Coast. Not to look and see, oh, that's a national contender. Oh, that's Reggie Bush, Matt Liner. I gotta stay up and see this team's really dominant. They're, that, they're fun to watch because of that. No, it's gonna be a fun, entertaining game, and that's what the Pac-12 is. It's an entertainment entity now, not a conference of champions. Don't, don't sell me on that. Sell me that you're gonna be the conference that hey, this is gonna be a fun, silly game. This is a kid's a little kid's birthday party, not you know grown-ups, you know trying to see who can win a championship.
1: Ryan, your thoughts?
3: Yeah, I mean, we've. Bashed on the Pac-12 for a long time, and it's it's not going to change until Larry Scott is out of there. Uh, yeah. His his conference call we had on Thursday just wasn't very encouraging. Similar stuff where you hear like the same old, same old. Just like when we get you know you know conferences with with Clay Helton, you're hearing the same kind of stuff, and um, you got to win, and you got to be you got to be a winner. You can't accept failure, you know. And I feel like a lot of the leaders right now are just accepting failure. Like this is just the way it is, and it doesn't have to be that way. And I feel bad. I mean, there's a ton of fans. Uh, we got a lot of people on Periscope right now that you know Hello. getting in there. Hey, everyone! Per- everyone, hit the like thing. if you want. <laughs> Give us some, give <laughs> some <laughs> hearts like, or wherever like, you are. Whatever. Subscribe. Uh, but if you feel bad, I mean, they're in, you know, we got 23 voicemails for the podcast over the weekend. It was crazy. We're going to do a big, Keely and I are going to do a big mailbag podcast uh, on Monday. So watch for that. So we're going to try to answer everyone's questions as much as we can. Um, but fans are really upset and they have a reason to be. You can be a little upset at the Pac-12, but you got to be upset at what yeah. USC is doing. The talent on this team, and you guys talked about it, the potential is there because this is a team would anyone in the Pac-12 would Mario Cristobal trade rosters with with Halton? I think he would and it's it's close but I think he would everyone else certainly would um but Oregon's get, you know USC's had that talent advantage for a while you just sort of rely on that that is going away I think by next year Oregon might have more four and five stars on on the Duck squad than the Trojans will have on theirs then you got to out coach them and that's not something we've seen uh you know from USC so it's a problem. I mean, this team is way too talented. There's just too much potential there to be where they are. And it's not just you know, the 501 record is fine, but you, who are you blowing out? Who are you like, cr- they should have crushed Arizona. You shouldn't almost have lost Arizona. I mean, that's just what's going on here. You need to see better results from from the kind of talent that's on the team. And it's 2020 was sort of set up to be the really good year. It depends on who's opting out or who you know who's going to drop out at this point. I think USC is not going to be nearly as talented as they are in 2021, as they were in 2020. And you're going to have a full schedule, more opportunities to lose. It could get a lot worse. And there might be another long offseason. I mean, who knows? But it's just, this was a year you could have at least sort of built up a little bit of momentum by winning the Pac-12. And failing to do that is why I feel like this season's a failure. Like, without winning the Pac-12, I think this this season is just a bust. I
2: don't even know whether to call it a failure or success. You know, the fact that they were able to play six games is great. Um, when, you know, a few months ago, we didn't think any would be played. So I think that is a success. Yeah. Um, I just think it's, you know, it's similar to what we've seen. So I don't know whether you call it a, a failure or success or just a continuation of, of what has gone on in the past.
3: I think the good point, though, just having a season, we didn't expect that. Just a few months ago, if you said, hey, they're going to play six games and play in a Pac-12 championship game, you're going to be like, what, really? Like that's... And the sacrifices players made. How they stayed healthy, like all of that stuff. I don't want to diminish that. Uh, they, the administration put a lot of great protocols in place. They protected these guys. I think they were safer where they were. The fact that they got to play as many games as they did, only having one canceled, and it was kind of a fluke thing that ended up happening. That's all. Like, yeah, you've handled this. You know, you've handled this successfully as far as trying to make a season that works. I mean, Arizona State missing three games in a row, and you know, Utah missed a couple games. And, there's a lot of stuff that just, you know, were kind of out of your control that I think USC did a good job on. But the, the team itself, the coaches need to put the players in a better position. The amount of talent was there and they just didn't see the results on the field. That's where I think the failure was.
1: I, I think the problem is where USC thinks it should be, and I think where fans expect, and Shotgun and I kind of talked about this on Instant Analysis, is, you know, you ask Clay what's the next step for the program, and, and he says the Pac-12 championship. Well, fans are are banging on the table and, and looking at the college football playoff, and USC has barely sniffed that in, in, its, in its existence, you know, and so I think that's the problem there, but Shotgun as far as, um, failures go do you think it's a failure I, I hate saying that ryan just because i feel like there were so much put into the season it's a failure I, but okay <laughs> is there a way to separate on the field achievement and what the players and administration were able to do as far as playing college football in a pandemic
3: uh i mean where usc finished is a failure like not what it, like this was a year setting the bar here if you're talking about championships the generic championships from clay helton you're thinking Pac-12, USC fans are thinking national championship, getting the playoffs, you know, backing in maybe to a Pac-12 championship in a weird pandemic year isn't going to get you a lot of credit, but you had to do at least that, and they didn't do that. So, But it is hard because you know the kind of sacrifices that these players made, the tough decision to want to opt out of the ball things, and we'll, we'll get into that in a little bit. Uh, and like I said, they, they put some really good protocols in place just to try to keep these guys safe. It's tough. I definitely want to separate that and say everything that they did to try to make the games actually happen the people around the football team to make it happen is great. Then you were given this opportunity to go out and play football. that's the part that wasn't great and to me the playing football part that was the failure
2: To me this was a you know a blockbuster movie a lot of money got spent on it and you recoup the money the critics didn't like it you know it wasn't a big success it wasn't a complete bust. But you recoup the money on it, and you say, okay, we'll move on to the next one kind
3: of thing. Yeah. But you you were making, like, Titanic 2, and it was set up to make $3 billion, <laughs> and you just recouped <laughs> your two, $400 million And you're like, okay, we got our money back. But, like, anyone with any competence would have made this, like, the biggest blockbuster ever, you know?
1: Sure. Sure. That's fair. Now, let's go into what you've alluded to, Ryan. USC decided to opt out of a potential bowl game. Um interesting move there. I know there has been mixed results. It was really funny just seeing my mentions go from Friday night to, I can't believe this team and I never want to watch them again, to when I put out that USC had opted out, they were like, what? Why aren't they playing? I wanted to see them play. And it's like, just the fans, you know, the pendulum swing is very interesting. But uh, what were your initial thoughts, guys, when you uh, learned that USC was opting out?
2: I I was just like you, Keely. I was shocked by the the 180 in fans (laughs) on social media and our message boards. Going from good thing we didn't, you know, good thing they lost because they just get worked in a, you know, by a, a good bowl team and a New Year's Six bowl or whatever. And then when they're not going to go to an Alamo bowl, people are like, I can't believe they just pass up a, you know, the opportunity to practice. I think that, you know, from a coaching standpoint, you need to have those practices. You need to. From a player's standpoint, I completely understand not wanting to play. Because it has basically been four months, three months of isolation for these players. Now they got their teammates, and some players are built for that. Some players are built to be around their their friends and, and that being it. Other people are either social butterflies, need to be around a lot of people, or just really family-oriented and need to be around their families. You know, so I can understand this, especially during the holiday season. I can understand just the wear and tear that this season, this semester, This everything that has gone on since March has put on these players. And I know a lot of people get really upset about it. And then I kind of wanted to be like, but think about it. If you were isolated at home and hey, maybe you got one buddy that's over, maybe two buddies that are roommates with you, but you can never see your mom and dad. You can never see your family. Would you give up hanging out with your buddy one more time to go, to, to go, you know, be with your family for Christmas? For the holidays, I mean, I, I feel like you probably would. And I was told by a couple of, of sources that the mental wear and tear had really taken an effect later in the game. The, the USC kind of came into that game flat, uh, because partially because of the three, three and 13, but also just the wear and tear of some guys being in quarantine. Now you're not even around your buddies anymore. You were isolated in a hotel room for basically the entirety of two weeks. That's you know that's basically like uh, solitary confinement in in a prison. Um, you know it's a little bit more luxurious, but still you're not allowed to go out and be with anyone else. Um, so I, you know I think it just the mental aspect of it really wore the team down. You're doing trying to do your schoolwork and all that stuff as well. So I understand if it is true that the players did vote on it, and that's what you know some people have told us uh, that the players voted on it and they decided they didn't want to play. The statement that USC put out made gave a little bit too much too much credence just on the medical. I think it was more of a, a you know a cumulative effect. You know, there yeah. was the players are kinda like, eh, I don't know if this is the thing we want to do. Obviously the parents want to see the players. You know, I think there was a combination of of things rather than just being like, oh the medical says you can't play right now.
1: Yeah. I, I had heard similar things to shotgun. Um a lot of what I heard was like, people don't really understand the toll it took on the team mentally to play, uh, in this type of environment and very isolated in that sense. And it's hard. I think it, 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 it needs to be a nuanced discussion because on one hand, I can see why it looks bad from a PR standpoint. You know, if it was the Fiesta Bowl, I don't think we're talking about them opting out right now. And you have a team that, wrote a letter to the the governor of California with a hashtag, we want to play. And then suddenly it looks like they don't get the bowl that they want. And then they don't want to play anymore. So I get that that looks bad, but at the same time, these are student athletes who don't have school right now. They finished uh, at Thanksgiving. So they're not in school anymore. And, and there's nothing really, you know, the CFP is, is made up there. There's nothing really to play for, to travel uh, for an Alamo bowl. So I I get that. And what Chalkin alluded to, and that's kind of what I've heard from team sources as well. So, I get both sides, but at the same time, I'm not inclined to g- get frustrated at players who are are, are kind of just done at this point,
3: you know? Yeah, I would say my initial reaction was, you get it. Like, hey, the players have gone through a lot. They would like to go see their families for the holidays. Um, I tweeted that out, got some weird responses or maybe not positive responses. But you think about it, and you do talk about that. like, Well, you did write that letter that you wanted to uh, you know, play, and yeah. th- this is an opportunity to play. You only got six games in. Um, this is an opportunity for a bowl game and to, you know, play another team from another conference, get the bad taste out of your mouth, uh, Losing to Oregon. Uh, you'd play, you would have played Texas, Todd Orlando, going back to play against his old team and Craig Nivar. I mean, there are some, I think there are going to be some really good storylines from doing a bowl game. The, the student athletes are that. They're not getting paid for this. They've been quarantined. They've been sacrificing a lot. And if they really didn't want to play, I'm, you know, I, I'm not going to stand it. No, no criticism towards them I can guarantee you there's a bunch of the guys on this team though that did want to play and if this was an opportunity for USC to figure that out players that didn't want to play could have opted out and if there was guys that were you know tested COVID positive over the week that we didn't hear about going into the game and they weren't gonna be able to play fine there's some guys that got hurt if you had to play with Matt Fink hey you've you know he's your quarterback too he won a game against Utah I mean I, I feel like if they were if it was going to be possible at all to let those players that did want to play give them an opportunity to play, you're going to look really good. Get some practice in. Uh, try to make this team better. If you're really talking about winning championships, are you going to be better by opting out of a bowl next year, or are you going to be better by playing one and trying to get you know a better taste in your mouth than than what it is? And the problem is the optics are bad. It's instant. You're going to hear from like the the media critics. You know, instantly the fans that are really upset. They just wanted to avoid losing another game. They didn't want to have the, you know, you don't want to see Carol Fult tweet something out and get absolutely ratioed again about what's going on with the football program. By playing another game, you are opening yourself up. USC had a lot of opportunities to lose and avoided them all up until Friday night. I mean, easily this could have been a two and four team just by looking at the way, you know, those games went. And do you want to play another good, Power five team that was good enough to make a bowl game. You weren't sure who it was going to be, but it could have been like an Iowa state. Uh, it could be a Texas and looks like it would have been and give yourself another opportunity to lose. I'm not saying that's why, but you can see the optics are pointing towards that too. So that's why it's, it's just, it's a tough one. If it's all the players and all the players said, Hey, we don't want to play. No complaints there. Uh, we had a you know, podcast with Harvey Hyde today. It's pretty critical about the decision, but if it is some sort of like, you know, this is just the best way to avoid, more bad press. I, I just don't like it because I know there's some guys out there that would want to play and a lot of the families that would have had the opportunity to see their kids play because you could actually go to a bowl game and watch unlike the games here in California. True. So, I mean, that's a, it's a tough one. If it's like unanimous by the players, fine. If it's not and there's enough players that wanted to play and they could have played a game, I think that's what they should have done.
2: I, I think one of the issues though is it sounded like they were getting closer and closer to that 53-man minimum.
3: That was notable
1: in the um, press release. When
2: you include injuries in there. Because Keaton Slovis, Amon Ross St. Brown, it wasn't just, hey, you lost a guy off special teams. You were losing some star players there. So, you, you know, you start, when you get closer and closer to that, and then if you go through the month and suddenly you get a couple positives late, all right, have you just wasted this time when players could have been? You know, if, if suddenly you play in the Alamo Bowl, and I think it's the 29th, and on the 27th you test, and guys... Uh, come up positive and you fall b- below the threshold and now you've, you know, wasted the opportunity for guys to be home for the, with, for the holidays. Uh, you know, I, I think that depending on how close they were there, because Keaton Slovis was out, I'm on Ross St. Brown. Both those guys had shoulder injuries. They were going to be questionable. Uh, I was told Elijah Vera Tucker went into the game, was a game-time decision on uh, Friday against Oregon. So are, if you're him and you're likely opting out to go to the NFL, do you really want to put your, yourself on the line for an Alamo Bowl? You know, he's probably opting out of the game. What, are Talano Hufunga and Isaiah Polamau and some of those guys in the defense that may opt out, are they deciding to play one more game? There's a, now you start getting closer and closer and closer to that minimum. And, hey, if you have enough players and you have 60 guys still, then, yeah, I think you should play. But when you start looking back, when the, you had the Jordan ESFs and the Solomon Tuli Alapupus and you know, guys that opted out and guys have been injured previously, that number starts shrinking. The, the window starts shrinking a lot more. So I don't know the exact number, but it sounded like it was getting a lot closer from the way they worded it in the press conference.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. Where do you guys stand on the whole – I mean, this is, this is a sticking point, too. If it was the Fiesta Bowl, you wouldn't have been talking about any of this. You would have been practicing and playing. I don't feel like this would, there, I don't feel like there was going to be an opt out of the Fiesta Bowl.
1: Yeah. And that's why I said it's, it's hard to look at this and say, well, you just didn't get the bowl you wanted and now you're out. Cause I, I do think we're talking about the Fiesta Bowl if they got it. And yeah. so that's where it's hard to, to make excuses because I think it's, it's really a pick and choose thing. And then that makes you think of, of team culture. Do you, is it where you want to go to what you want to do? And then if it's not, you opt out, you know. That's what I'm saying. It's it it's a nuanced discussion because I I still keep going back to the sacrifices put into the season to make it happen. And so if you're not playing for anything really inalmable do you show up? But then it's like you said, you wanted to play. Here You're playing. Yeah. You know. It's I, I I undecided if you can't tell.
3: <laughs> and, and I'm not going to take everything in that statement as like fact. I mean, we saw when the Rose Bowl moved to AT and T Stadium, they used one of the you know the the rising. Covid cases in Los Angeles County is one of the reasons. Yeah, do you know where it's worse? Where, where it's going. going? Like, okay, you okay if you moved it to you know Nebraska or something, you're like, yeah, there's less Covid there. They moved to a place that's worse, so that that's just a bullcrap excuse. And I feel like some of that statement, uh, you know, we don't know for sure. I think some of it.
1: Well, the thing, may thing be that that is interesting to me is that USC had been very upfront about their Covid issues mm-hmm. um, prior to. <laughs> I mean, this whole time. If they had one positive, they put out a statement and and put pretty detailed explanation of what was happening. And I had heard coming into the game that there were COVID issues, and that was something that I was trying to track down, and yet... We hear about it after the game in the response to why they aren't playing in the bowl game. And it's like you set a precedent of alerting the public about this. And maybe it was a strategic thing. They didn't want to have L.A. County on their case right before playing a Pac-12 championship game that they thought they were going to win. But at the same time, it just seems uh, it just does not look good again to mention the COVID issues in your press release about why you're not playing the bowl.
2: Yeah, that yes. was weird. They did have players missing from the game. Chase yes. Williams was not there. Keenan Kristen was not there. Isaac Taylor Stewart. Those guys were not in the stadium. Um, so what, does that lend that to that? Are they transferring? We don't know exactly, uh, but it seems more it lends itself towards COVID precautions there and potential of contact tracing or whatnot. Um, so those guys weren't in the stadium. So there were, there were players that were not there and likely due to that reason.
1: Yeah. I was told that uh, they were quarantining. So there's that. But, um, I mean it's that's what I'm saying. It's just it's it's weird in that sense. And then the notable thing about the roster limit is then you have to also think about opt outs. I was told that a lot of people who were eyeing the NFL kind of signaled that they would opt out if they did play in a bowl game. So even if they did play, is it really the team that we've known to see in twenty twenty playing, or is it kind of a, a a mix of starters and guys who step up because of COVID issues, injuries and opt outs? You know, and then at that point is it is it worth it
2: to go through all that? I don't know. And again, it comes back, I think it comes back to mentality too, just the, the mental toll, I guess. Um, you know, if you're going into a New York Six game and there's prestige, maybe you get over the the hump and, and can push on past that. But going to the Alamo Bowl and, you know, potentially playing Texas, who a lot of those guys have played a couple times, unless there's some bad blood that they have with Texas that they would like to, you know, finish off with a third time. Um, maybe you look at it and you just go, oh, this has been too much. I'm, I'm ready to, you know, see the fam and, you know, hang out and, you know, see baby sister or whatever it may be. Um, so I, I think those things play into it as well. And remember, these are 18 to 21 year olds. I think we forget about that a lot of times. Yep. 18 to 21 year olds, they go through, you, you know, their uh, emotions are up and down a lot quicker than, than most adults uh, are. So, you know, I think that that plays into it. We just have to remember those type of things are, are also a factor.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, I'm going to jump into calls pretty soon here, and then we'll go into questions. We have a lot of them, so we'll get to them. But uh, as promised, what happens next, Ryan? What, <laughs> where does USC go from here? I mean, we get the question every second of every day about what happens with Clay Helton. He's under contract, so it's it's not like a thing where they have to make a decision. He's the coach, unless something drastic happens. And it just doesn't seem like that's happening, at least as we know of right now.
3: Yeah, I think it would have to be something drastic happening. We've talked about the contract. It's a fully guaranteed going through 2023. It'd be very expensive uh, to buy him out. I know some people on Periscope pointed out what happened at South Carolina, what happened in Auburn. Yeah, I mean, they're big buyout. Over $20 million to buy out Gus Malzahn. And you might promote your defensive coordinator as the head <laughs> coach. Like, wow, like that's a lot of money to spend on a dude you already had in-house. But... Could that happen? Uh, I would have said almost, you know, I, I think it's in the, you know, high 99, you know, like 99% that Clay Helton's going to be back in 2021. That was my feeling kind of coming into this. Then USC goes 5-0, and oh, and you're like, yeah, there's no way he's going to be fired at this point. But it was such a disaster Friday night, and it just kind of exposed everything uh, that had gone on during the season. It sort of made those, like, close wins that could have been losses, almost like they were a lot closer to losses than even what they were. And I feel like at that point, you're like, okay, what are we doing here? Is this really what you want to go into a a full season of? And knowing there's going to be a lot more opportunities to lose games, the way USC played this year, if they played a 12-game schedule, there would have definitely been more losses, for sure. Um, Obviously, if you played the kind of teams that were originally on the schedule, do you want to face that again uh, next year, or do you want to make some kind of move? I just felt like it was going to be a really hard thing to do unless there's some big boosters. Like, there's going to be some big money that would have to come in and do something. But I, I my gut is, you're going, we're going to be dealing with the same sort of thing uh, next year. I, I think Clay Elton's going to be sticking around, you know, barring some kind of crazy happenings between now and then.
2: Yeah, mm-hmm. Phil asked a question. He said, why doesn't one of these big money boosters step up and pay Elton's buyout? Do they care enough? You know, at Auburn, they do. At South Carolina, they do. In the SEC, it just means more. Does anyone at USC, do they care that much? That's a big question, mm-hmm. especially now. Like USC, it doesn't seem like USC, the school, has the money to do it. You know, even if they wanted to, it just, with everything else that has gone on the school around the school the last five years, we've talked about this in the past, but with everything that's gone on, with a pandemic right now, with money not coming in, you're not adding income. Then I don't think the school can do it. It would require a booster to do that. Now, does anyone care enough to step up and do that? Yeah. As, yeah.
3: as far as the future goes, though, I don't feel there's going to be coaches being fired. Uh, I, you know, assistant coaches. That's happened the last two years. Just complete turnover. So if anyone's replaced, it's going to be because my my guess is they left on their own accord. They wanted to go somewhere else. Graham Harrell gets hired. Somewhere, something like that, you could see that happening. The thing to watch will be, are any USC coaches going to get poached to go somewhere? Most likely, you know, the highest candidate up there is Graham Harrell. And do players opt out? There's going to be the transfer rule. Are you going to see some players transfer out of the program that are frustrated? I think it's pretty likely that it's going to happen. But also, I think USC is going to go after uh, players. There's gaps. There's holes out there. Left tackle. Um, You know, Elijah Vera Tucker is likely going to be gone. What are they doing there? They probably need... Uh, another inside linebacker, if they can find one. It depends on who guys are coming back. Uh, Defensive tackle. I mean, I feel like you're going to, you know, they they definitely could use another running back. and There could be some issues there with USC's troubles running the football. So it's going to be like roster watch. And then, you know, who does, if, if someone leaves on the assistant coaching staff, who will Clay Helton get to replace him?
2: And if someone leaves on the assistant staff, does that create some more turnover? You know, you may really like your position coach and not the head coach or not the coordinator above. Um, So, if if someone does leave, will that there might be a lot of roster turnover? We'll see. It'll be interesting to see. We've seen some schools go through a lot of turnover um, in this season with the pandemic and everything else. And if the NCAA, now that they're going to allow everyone, you know, their one time transfer rule, it sounds like, then you could see a a lot of guys leave and some guys come in as well because there's so many people in the transfer portal. Mm
1: hmm. We shall see, so stay tuned. <laughs> That's It's a ever evolving situation. It is, but it isn't. It's it's an odd dynamic there. Uh, let's jump into our callers who have been patiently waiting. I appreciate y'all. Uh, first off, let's go to Dave from Iowa. Hello, you are live on television.
4: Uh, Dave from Iowa, once again, uh, yeah, Friday's game, uh, we didn't win because, you know, our head coach isn't focused on the trenches, so, you know, not, but not much of a shock right there, but to point out in terms of talent versus talent, aside from, you know, Kayvon Thibodeau and D.D. Uh, Lenore, who, you know, made the crucial plays, number 12, number 19, number 24, they're the ones that made some of the biggest plays in that game. All those guys for three are three, the three starters coming out of high school. So I don't want to I don't mean to disrespect this guy, but to call out Gerard Martinez, I don't think Cristobal is just a recruiting coach. He obviously knows how to develop these players. And by the way, these guys were freshmen and sophomores. So clearly Oregon does have something coming up and with Cristobal signing that new contract and him not leaving, looks like we're going to be chasing Cristobal instead of, you know, other teams chasing us.
3: Hey, Dave. Thanks for the call. Yeah, no, I think he's done, he's done a pretty good job there. I don't know if he's going to be an elite coach or a great coach, but he's developed players. I mean, he's an offensive line guy. That's going to add a, a layer of toughness. He's recruited some of the you know the better offensive linemen on the West Coast and been able to take those guys away from USC. And they're going to get the, the occasional five-star, the Kayvon Thibodeau and the Justin Flows. But they're also going to get some, you know, local, you know, West Coast three-stars and make them Way better players, and we saw. I think we saw that last night. They were definitely the better coached team. They looked like the better prepared team, and uh, they played like the better team on Friday night.
2: The thing Cristobal has done really well is hire good coordinators. Yeah, um, yeah. I, I think Moorhead was a great addition at, at, as the offense coordinator, and Avalos is a guy who's gotten several looks. Uh, you know from. Uh, some uh, mid-major schools that are looking for new head coaches and stuff. Last season, we'll see if, if he's on the move this year. He's a young coach and does some really good things uh, for their defense. And like I said, they look like they knew exactly what USC was going to run their entire you know first you know, three drives or so.
1: Mm-hmm. All righty, let's go to a, a shotgun favorite. It's Hugo. Hello, you're live Every, on –
3: Everybody's favorite.
1: Sure, uh, you're live on television.
0: Yo, what's up? What's up? How you guys doing? <laughs> good. Good, Hugo. Okay, okay, look, man, check it out. I wasn't even gonna say nothing, but Ryan has been uh talking about it a lot, right, with this, you know, replacing Helton man. You know, that we know, we know that's what we want. He we know he don't even represent or anything he's nothing like LA what we what we how we are out here. Rough, tough, in your face, none of that. You know what I'm saying? He look you know, he just he's just not he don't represent us, man. That's what really, really frustrates us us people out here in South Central, you know. Because he just he just doesn't look like that like like somebody that represents us or acts like us or anything like I'm not so anyways look Aranda Mike Aranda Tom Herman or the LSU uh, LSU offensive coordinator boom give me them guys now look here's here it is I'm not mad at the players. I feel like thir- uh, all these games in 13 in 13 days, that was too much for these cats, man. These are, you, it was just too much. I feel like we were set up. I feel like 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 the conference just did not look out for us. It was just it's it's too much, man. And now uh, Shotgun, when you whenever you talk to um, to uh, Graham Harrell again, hey, pump your chest out, <laughs> pump your chest out, my man, because you know what, that offense looked like, like you know what, all right, that thing did not flow. I'm watching Ohio State over here. Uh, maybe it's not the same, but they look similar in the shotgun, three receivers over here and this and this and that, right? But they were, they were flowing. They, it looked like they were hitting the receivers right right on in, in stride, right off the route, All that, and they ran the ball for like 4,700 yards in one game. You know what I'm saying? Okay, so this is what – this needs to happen. Shotgun, this is what needs to happen, okay? Either Harold needs to go, or, or or do something more realistic and let the offensive lineman uh, coach Drevno go. But you, we need some answers. Either one of those two, they need to let they need to let us. They one of them need to go. Okay. Thank you, Hugo. Got to cut you off there. <laughs> He's
3: gone off there.
2: Yeah. I know. You know, I, I think talking about the offensive line is where the big deficiency is on the offense. You know, they they just get not that they don't do an okay job. They did an okay job protecting Slovis. There were a couple times when they just let guys go by on the edges. Um, but the interior guys getting pushed back. And Jasper actually had a a, a good comment. Jasper is one of our you know regular commenters on, on YouTube. He said, Do you think that the the way that they recruit tackle bodies? And Clay Helton has said this over and over again, you know, in the last couple, oh, we re- we always recruit tackle bodies. Um that that's part of the reason why you don't have really good interior guys that can push forward uh, and, and get you some yards on the ground maybe that has something to do with it where you got guys that are used to being pass blockers and used to you know dropping back or getting out in space and trying to block you know guys rather than being the Hog Molly's in the middle of the in the middle of the line, pushing guys forward on those short yard situations when USC has been getting pushed back and struggling with, you know, th- those. That's a that's a valid question right there and one I hadn't thought of. But the offensive line, they, just, they didn't create enough push at all. The run game I thought was was showed some good signs early. I mean, St- Stephen Carr ran for uh, 35 yards in the first half, which is is perfectly fine. That's all you need sure. from the running game. You know, that's all nine carries. It's like, you know, it's not a great yards per carry average. It's almost four yards, which that's all you really need from this this uh, offensive line and run game. Give you a little bit. Just take away the negative plays. If you can get four yards and now it's second and six, it changes the whole dynamic. Um, but they just can't consistently do that. In the second half, they weren't really able to do really much of anything. And, you know, they finished the game. I think that I, I tweeted out the stats yesterday. I was looking at the yards after contact. The running backs had seven yards before contact. That's how many yards they gained on, on I think it was 25 combined carries between Marquis Step and Steven Carr. 25 carries, your offensive line gave you seven yards before contact. That's not
3: going to do it. No, the rest are going to, yeah, you got to get them on your own. Yeah. Uh, hey, hey, Hugo, I got to buy you a beer when uh, this pandemic's over. So, <laughs> I'll call you, yeah.
1: There you go, Hugo. Uh, I'm going to go to Scott. Uh, hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. I believe you have a question about the offense for Shotgun.
3: Yes, Kelly, how are you doing?
1: Good. How you doing?
5: Uh, yeah, Shotgun, real quick, what's our fix for the offense? And thank you for taking my question. Okay. Thanks, Scott.
2: I mean, I think it starts with the offensive line and being able to run it effectively. Now, it doesn't have to always... Your running backs don't have to run for over 100 yards. You don't have to... It doesn't always even have to be the running backs. The quick screen game... You know those type of things they went away with they went away from in some of the and that's game planning based on an opponent but that needs to be a part of it the extended running game as I call it you know if you can throw it out to Brew McCoy and pick up six yards with a wide receiver screen you got to be able to do that and do that consistently so that you can start with shorter second downs that's the biggest thing to me Uh, when they threw it on first downs you know they they were able to pick up some yards but you have to do it consistently enough so that it can in effect be your running game so when you're able to run the ball you know pick up four yards of carry on the run now it's second and six or throw those screens and pick up five yards as well you know those type things i think that changes you know just the down and distance areas change everything and then red zone efficiency it was much better in the second half of the year but it's it hits them really big in this game you get down to the four yard line you get first and goal from the four you got to score that's you can't win championships kicking field goals getting down the four yard line Uh, so that was a big one and these are the small things the small things that that mattered in this game you know USC had what was it three turnovers on Keaton Slovis interceptions Mm -hmm. they had another turnover if you want to count that punt tackle that Talanoa Hufunga had you had the ball back you gave it back to them that counts as a turnover to me and they scored points on that so that's three other points there you miss a field goal they, that's four points on a potential touchdown on the first and goal. That's three points on, uh you, you know, Talanoa's and three points on the missed field goal. 10 points, you win the game.
3: Yeah. Mm-hmm. One of the weird things too, I got a text from a friend that, you know, more of an NFL guy, but does a lot of college evaluations was just like, why are they so condensed in the offensive line? Why is, why is there, there's no spacing there. Usually in this kind of offense, you're trying to space things out a little bit. They're not physical enough to keep it all mm-hmm. tight. And, I'm like, that's a really good point, you know. And the way that the run plays are designed, you know, handing it off sideways when the the quarterback is absolutely no threat to run, it just seems like schematically they could do some things that just kind of help out and make, you know, help the offensive line and, and make it a little better, a little easier to run the football. I'm not sure why they're not doing that, but it seems like there's some issues schematically with that.
2: With the run game, you know, I think it's more you have to squeeze things together, especially in those short yard situations because they let guys through too often, you know, just they just get beat up front. Um, and that's a lot of times the interior guys, um, you know, the, the nose tackles really had a day, uh, similar to BYU last year where they just continued to push Brett Nealon back into Keaton Slovis's lap. That was part of the reason why it felt like Keaton Slovis was under pressure all the time it wasn't necessarily that someone had beat a guy, but they just pushed everything back on him and you can't step into a throw. Um, and there were times when that happened. Now he's trying to escape out to the outside. I thought, Oregon did a really did something really interesting as far as their pass rush. They rushed three, but then they had two linebackers that were basically sitting there on the guards to occupy the guards. So the guard, if the guard turns to go help out and double team Kayvon Thibodeau, well, that guy's gonna come and then try to attack Keaton Slovis. But if he doesn't, they're just standing there waiting to jump up and try to swat a ball down, try to take away that that short yardage passing over the middle, but also just to occupy those guards to create those one-on-one opportunities on the edges. And, you know, AVT wasn't 100%. He got beat a couple times. Jalen McKenzie struggled on the other, other side, especially when they put Thibodeau over there. So I thought the, the game plan up front was really, really nice by Oregon to attack this USC offense line that way.
1: All righty. We had two more callers in the queue, so I'm going to jump to them, and then we'll jump into questions. I believe uh, Cameron from Frisco has a question about Tim Drevno. Hello. You are live on television. Hello,
6: Keeley. Shotgun and Ryan. I know it's been a long time since I've come to call in to Tunnel Vision. I first want to say thank you for a great season of covering the team.
0: Thank first, you. want to give a
6: shout out to you, Keely, for hashtag Stock Neutral. Stock yes, neutral thank you. Thing. Woo! <laughs> and then I want to, I want to give a shout out to Ryan for his great takes throughout the season on Trader Joe's. um thank you. Throughout this Christmas holiday, I bought in those. Christmas tree cookies, and I bought four boxes just for the month, and I'm down to my last box. Oh,
3: yeah. Yeah. So I want to say
6: thanks for your Trader Joe's takes throughout the whole year. (laughs) Um, Shotgun, I first want to say that you are the real MVP of this podcast (laughs) because you were the only one to actually say Washington would actually win the North. They technically did win the North. So I wanted to say Shotgun Spratling MVP. <laughs>
5: that
3: was good. It was that. That got caught. That got weird. And quick. I also no, just wanted
6: to boost up shot. I just wanted to boost up Shotgun's ego because we all love when Shotgun Spratling boosts up his ego, especially on the Family Feud podcast. So
1: <laughs> no. That was perfect. Exactly. Okay. So what's your question?
6: Okay, so the question is on Tim Drevno. We saw on this Friday against Oregon, this offensive line looked. Terrible. Just the one-on-one matches with Kayvon Thibodeau against AVT and Jalen McKenzie just, Jalen McKenzie just looked like he just fell on his butt every time. It was embarrassing to watch. It was so embarrassing to watch this offensive line just look like they were just better off just falling on the ground and just hope for the best. So my big question is, of all the members of the coaching staff, who do you think will actually get let go? Would Mike Boehm make a move of kind of forcing a Clay Hilton hand on you know, kind of getting rid of somebody off the coaching staff. I'm thinking really the solution is Tim Drevno. I think Tim Drevno needs to go because look at this offensive line. They haven't improved. We haven't seen really their technicalities get shown off, and there really aren't that doing that really a great job. And we can just tell. I mean, we only got like an Austin Jackson, a first round pick, and that was a five star recruit. And now we're getting the fours and the three stars and everything. So, We need an offensive line coach that's just going to develop, um, coach, develop this offensive line. I know Shotgun hates the hypotheticals. You know, he hates just like all those hypotheticals of who would be a great offensive line coach for USC. So I'm thinking, you know, give me the old line coach from Bama, Clemson, Ohio State, Iowa, Wisconsin. Like, give me one of those guys that just knows how to just bring out the brute. Brute force of just an offensive line, just make them tough. Okay, the Cameron, I'm cutting you off. I'm sorry. So I think
3: if you saw this, <laughs> thanks, Cameron. Appreciate. it. Yeah. So we—that's uh, the Cameron show there for a little bit. <laughs> um, so we already talked about like didn't really feel like there was going to be any assistant coaching changes. But if you said, "Hey, you have to pick somebody," who is it likely to be? It's probably not going to be any of the new coaches that came in last year, right? It's probably you're not probably letting any of the defensive guys go. You're not letting Sean Snyder go. It's going to have to be someone that's been around, is it? Uh, Mike Jenks or uh, Carrie Colbert or, uh, or Tim Drevno. Like, those are probably be the only three you could choose from. The offensive line certainly has been uh, under criticism, so I guess if they were going to make a move, it could be that. The issue I had from the beginning was that you know he wasn't someone that was coaching an offensive line that's run the air raid system, and they kind of made it be they're like, yeah, that doesn't really matter that much. Maybe it does. I'm not sure, but I, like I said, I don't think they're going to make any changes on the staff, my guess, but. If they had to make one, he would be definitely one of the candidates. I don't know what you think, Shotgun.
2: I mean, he's also – his title is the run game coordinator too. So um, if you look at it and the run game really struggled, then if you're going to someone, just it, it, it like you said from the beginning, it was surprising that he was kept on uh, with the fact that he didn't have any experience in the air raid. But, you know, some weirder things have, have worked out. Yeah. So you looked at it and – there's a big question mark still with the offensive line. So I don't call for anyone's head besides Larry yeah. Scott's at <laughs> all times. Um, but, you know, because there's families and everything else involved. But the, it seems like it doesn't fit perfectly there. Uh, if they were to make a move on the offensive line, then you would look for them to hire someone. I know a lot of people have thrown out Iowa, and he just said Clemson or Alabama. You need someone that has the similar, has some experience in an air raid offense yeah. because it's different. You're not pushing forward all the time. You're not, you know, going under center and third and one, type of situations so you need guys that you know can teach what it is that's going to happen with Graham Harrell's air raid um I thought that like I said the um the offensive line didn't play as bad as I thought on Friday when I re-watched the game you know they gave Slovis some time the DBs a lot of, it was a lot of drop drops uh six coverage you know like I said they were keeping those linebackers there to occupy but also kind of play a short zone so it's a mini drop eight coverage but it was three guys that were pass rushing primarily and they were able to get pressure and that's an issue. And so if you, you gotta clean those type of things up, um, even if you know your star lineman is, you know, a little banged up, the other guys need to be able to help out with him. You know, they kept Stephen Carr in there a lot, and he was great pass blocking, you know, he was. a couple times where he just dominated blitzers coming through the, the edge. Um, but they there's at times you need to change your system up and say, all right, we gotta keep a tight end in to help out whatever Kayvon Thibodeau is because he's killing us right now. He had he, I think he had 12 pressures in the game according to Pro Football Focus. Wow, that's a lot. That's yeah. a huge number. Um so, you know, you got to change some things up and I didn't think that they did that. Now, is that on Tim Drevno or is that on Graham Harrell? You know, that
3: that's also a question. It's hard to say. I mean, they have to figure that stuff out in the film room, so I think they will. Uh CT uh when? S- Suj, when are they going to figure it out in the film room? I don't know. I mean, for the offseason, like as far as like if what they want to do going forward. Like, you had a guy
2: a... like AJ Epenesa last year, elite pass rusher on the edge. What happens? He hurts your quarterback. Then no, what, I mean, are you they, going to change gonna... things? Hey, you should look at it and go. Well, look at this Iowa game. When we face an elite pass rusher again, what can we do differently?
3: Yeah, and
2: they faced one. They didn't do
3: anything different. No, they. Didn't, that's what you know. It, when you're talking about are they going to make changes on the staff or whatever, like they have to come up to that, like whose fault is this that they haven't fixed that problem? Uh, Ctsuj on Periscope said there is no run game to coordinate. Ouch, but that's uh, <laughs> fair. You know, it's not been very good.
1: Sinke on YouTube said Shotgun is going to snap one day. A hypothetical is just going to push him over the edge. <laughs> and I thought that was.
3: Funny. Yeah, thinking about it real quick, do you remember after the first two games USC ran for 170 yards? And uh, and that's what Clay Helton talked about. Is but that's what they want to do all the time, and it just like fell off a cliff from that point. Yeah, it's, it's so weird. weird.
2: Yeah. I mean, they were playing Arizona, and Arizona's terrible. Um, so that was part of the reason why they were able to run that game. But UCLA, I thought they should have been able to run the ball. They, they ran okay against UCLA. Oregon has a terrible run defense,
3: and they, you know, Oregon State ran for three hundred something yards against the Oregon defense, and USC couldn't run for thirty eight. Like, what? Here's what, my what, response.
1: He's shrugging. (laughs) (laughs) I have to translate that or or relay that. One more caller in the queue and then I'll get to questions. We're already at the top of the hour. Holy cow. It's our guy, Bobby. Hello, you are live on Tunnel Vision. Thank you for waiting, Bobby.
5: Thank you, all three of you, and plus Trevino and Gerard Martinez. I have to thank you from the bottom of my heart and find the words to be so sincere to say thank you. To all five of you for being the greatest grief counselors I could ever imagine. I really appreciate you guys and the work you guys do.
1: Thanks, Bobby. What's your question for the team?
5: I got got three analogies uh, that came to mind today. USC's air raid offense belongs or reminds me of milk cartons that has a previous expiration date. No, then I started thinking about milk cartons, and I think there should be a picture of USC football with the caption, have you seen where our running game is? <laughs> That's, uh, and finally, uh, the thing that I like uh, on women or attracts me to women right away, I notice is their lipstick. Graham Harrell's shade is dull and worn out. Tim Drevno's shade is trite. Todd Orlando's good for special occasions, for example, the fire, fiery red. Oh, wait a minute. Haven't we tried like 11 different shades of assistant coaches? Can't we learn that lipstick doesn't belong on a Helton? Thanks, guys. Appreciate you. <laughs> wow. There's <laughs> a lot of
3: mixed. I uh... thought
1: there was a question there. Sorry about that. But, yes, <laughs> there's a lot of analogies there. Can't
3: really match you, Ryan, though. No. On the mal- I like, there's no. only three points. Sometimes Bobby's like, I got the 10 points I want to get to today. i like, all right, Bobby.
2: <laughs> I mean, his last point is basically that it doesn't matter what shade of lipstick that you put being assistant coaches on Helton, you're still putting lipstick
3: on a pig. Yeah, true. Sure. Um, it's hard to argue, too. I mean, there's you've made a lot of assistant coaching changes, and a lot of the stuff looks exactly the same. And
2: yeah, and there's that's the thing is there's positives on the offense. You know, I can see the air raid offense working. Yeah, there's positives on the defense. I thought the defense actually played really well. Um, you know, they, they were putting a hole by the offense with the turnovers, but they played really well. I mean. Oregon gained, what, like 100 yards less than the USC offense? It was just the turnovers really did, did the defense in there. Uh, give, d- now, there was a couple qu- things about, t- uh, tackling. Let me point out real quick. I don't know if you guys noticed this. The Talanoa Hufunga, he misses the tackle on that first touchdown. You're like, come on. That's, that's a play your best playmaker's gotta make, right? Talanoa Hufunga wasn't, that wasn't his guy. He wasn't supposed to be guarding him. So he made that play reading the run and reading the offensive lineman and said, wait a second, they're going to throw it to this guy and went out there because Chris Steele actually – because they did that motion in and then motion back out. And Chris Steele kind of slipped a little bit. And there was, that guy was wide open. It would have just been a walk in touchdown. Uh, if Funga gets out there, but can't make the tackle. But I didn't think the tackling was terrible on, on Friday either. That one really stands out because it's for a touchdown. Uh, so, you know, but, but USC's defense, they rallied after that 14 uh, 0 deficit and, you know, they played pretty well the rest of the game. The offense didn't really help them out though. No. Mm hmm.
1: As far as Keen Slovis goes, I know we've heard a lot about you know it was windy, a dry wind, and then you know it, it's a mental thing. It's it's his changing mechanics. Keen said he had mechanical issues. Graham Harrell said he didn't, and then I know you and, and Gerard talked about it a lot uh, on the Emergency Pod, Ryan. But I mean, is this Keen Slovis the three star? coming home to roost is like he's he's this is what he was evaluated as or is this just a weird confluence of things that we don't really know the full picture
3: I think it has to be a confluence of things there was definitely didn't look like he was as confident as he was last year coming in not really expecting to be the starter and taking over that role this was something you know it was a weird offseason but he knew coming in who was going to be the started quarterback even before JT Daniels Transferred out. I think you know there could have been some more confidence there, and for some reason it was lacking. But I think it's also having more of you know more film on him, having an off season to study. We've seen you know the Washington school beat the Washington State school quite a bit, knowing how to defend the air raid and Mike Leach not really being able to make many adjustments to that. I mean, there's people that have figured it out a little bit more. I think maybe they figured out USC a little bit more and. You're gonna still have those explosions. You know, you're gonna still have that first quarter against Washington State with four touchdown passes, but then you make some adjustments and if you know everything doesn't go quite right, you can have these long droughts without it. And I, I feel like that's the biggest issue with this offense. I mean, the fact that what's the most points this team scored? Was it thirty-eight this year? Like never even got to the forties? Is that is that right? Did has that happened? Um, I mean, this team should have scored 50 against Washington State. Scored 43 against UCLA. 40, okay, 43 yeah. against UCLA. Yeah, that was the crazy, yeah, the comeback thing. Um,
2: the comeback thing, you know, like those other games. <laughs> like you know, other games too.
3: <laughs> but like, you know, so the, some of the teams on the schedule, you should have put up a lot more points than you did. And, you know, the the red zone issues that Shotgun had talked about too, those were there. And it's, it's, it, That was a real thing. Um, so, yeah, it I don't know. I mean, he didn't look quite the same for sure. And uh, I don't think this is – now he's a three-star. This is really the way he is. He showed me he can be, a, you know, an elite-level quarterback. But I think a lot of things were happening this year that contributed to that. And I'd be, you know, curious to see what he's going to look like uh, in 2021. But something just wasn't quite right. And maybe, maybe like, like you said, a confluence of a bunch of small things.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah, Shotgun? It, it didn't look like he was playing with a ton of confidence. Uh, and it started from that first drive on yeah. Friday. Um, just looking at the throws – they weren't very confident throws. And I think he was like, again, Oregon looked like they knew every play the first couple of drives. So he's looking out there, and every receiver is covered up. And now suddenly you got Jordan Scott at like 340 pounds coming at you. And you got Kayvon Thibodeau coming off the edge. Um, and they were able to get pressure and hit him a couple times. And every quarterback, you hit him a couple times early, it changes how the game will progress. Yeah. Um, and I think that Oregon was able to do that. And then it shook Keaton a little bit he got back in a rhythm uh, but you know he was taking some big hits throughout the game the more hits you take the more likely you are to throw a ball like he did on that that interception uh, the final interception just uh, to me it looked like he thought that the first down marker was the line of scrimmage marker because he threw it on line he's like i got to get it past that marker to get it out of bounds so that's not intentional grounding didn't realize you know, because he'd scrambled out of the pocket and gone two different ways, he didn't realize how far he needed to throw it, maybe uh, there. Didn't realize how far back he had, you know, backtracked as he was trying to get away from the rush. And instead, he throws it on a rope and great play by Hill to, to intercept it, get the, t- the tippy toe down. Whereas, like I said, Shuck on the other side just tosses one up over to the edge, goes over two receivers just over the hands of IPM and just through the hands of Kanayamalga. If that, you know, if the Things changed on those two plays. Could have been a different game. Who knows? Mm-hmm.
1: And for the record, Ryan, USC averaged 33.3 points a game this season, and its opponents scored 26 points a game in 2020.
3: So I, I think that's less average than last year, right? I think you know, I just clicked with out of it. Yes. Yeah, I believe so. I mean, yeah, just with everyone coming back and all the offense firepower that was there, they had to score more points this year. Like that just, I mean, that's, you needed to score more points, and yeah. and they didn't.
1: Last year was 32.5 for USC per game, and the opponents scored 29.4 per game.
2: All right. So so a little bit of improvement on both sides. Yeah. You know what's scary, though? What's up? The players they're potentially going to lose this year.
1: Yeah.
2: And, hey, they're bringing in some quality freshmen in this recruiting class, but are those guys going to step in at the positions you need at left tackle? At both safety positions, do you have somebody ready to, to potentially step in there? Do you have a nose tackle? Is, is Sofster the guy that can step in there, the Alabama transfer? Uh, you're looking at some of these positions where they may lose players that decide to, to move on, and you go, whew. This this was the year USC should have won. Exactly. With all the veterans they have on that defense, and now they're replacing them, the guys that we expected to be really good, Pelley and Iteote, and... and you know, the guys coming off the edges, Drake Jackson. And uh, you know, this was the year they should have been really good. Yep. And it kind of felt like a disappointment coming into the year. Like, oh, they made this, this could be really bad for them if they miss out on having the opportunity to play this year when this was the year of the cycle. You know, because everything comes in cycles, uh, especially with the way they've recruited recently. It's going to be a cycle. So it's going to be a couple down years. Like, Oregon was rebuilding this year, and they beat you. What is it going to be next year when all their young guys are older and you've lost a lot of your veteran guys, in that defense, particularly, that's a big question.
3: Yeah, yep. that's why I'm saying the season's a failure because it was set up to win. You were set up to win this season. Yeah,
1: and in that sense, that's it's, a, it's a going fair... to be tougher
3: to win next season than this season yep. for a lot of reasons, and then the personnel is going to be one of them.
1: Yeah, yep, that's a fair assessment, Ryan. Andrew on, uh, let's go into uh, rapid fire. Just FYI, because yeah. it's eight eleven right now. Rapid Andrew fire. on YouTube says, if SE can't win the Pac-12 without playing half their conference schedule, how will they ever win? <laughs> playing the full Pac-12 schedule.
2: They'll eventually do it, but they'll do it with three losses. Yeah.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I mean, every other year at Clay Helton's tenure, the USC's had at least three losses. Um, This was the first one that wasn't the case, but only six games.
2: And they won won one Pac-12 there. I mean, you can get into the Pac-12 championship game and beat somebody that's better than you, potentially. It's not something that's really happened under Clay Helton a lot, but it's it's a possibility there.
3: Yeah, and the the Rose Bowl year, they actually beat the winner of the North and the South that year, Colorado and Washington. So that was they, that. That's didn't year didn't they play in the, the Pac-12 Championship. Game. Didn't play, but they had beat in yeah. the regular season both division winners, which was weird.
1: Mark on YouTube said Talanoa said this week that they've been having lighter practices recently, and again we saw countless missed tackles. Is it clear by now that Helton will never learn from his mistakes?
3: We'd heard a little bit of that. Like, they might have backed off this week. And, you know, like Shotgun said, with the three games in 13 days. But at this point, I mean, I, I would if that's what really happened, I would dis- disagree with that decision. Like, you, if you're going to play, you got to practice like you mean it, not we're going to back off. And not, it looks like they backed off.
1: Well, the problem is I don't think that there's been lessons learned about how to manage bodies while also not dropping off in production once you get to the game. I think yeah. – Bowl games have proven that, you know, people saying, oh, he knows what's right for for our bodies. He's giving us rest. And then they come out really flat. And so you have to question, is that something that played into this as well?
2: Yep. I don't think they've really mastered the whole like veteran day off. Yeah. Like certain guys get a day off. Not the entire team needs to not practice hard. Yeah.
1: Yeah. Um, Jasper Smith says, was, wasn't was Helton in charge of the discipline penalties coming into this season? Just checking because it seemed that they had the same bonehead penalties as compared to prior years. Technically,
3: that was last year that he was going to take over that. Right. So you assume he still is, but there were I think there were lasting penalties in the Pac-12. There was a meme that was going around. People were tweeting it out like constantly. So, yes. They, the, I, the irony there after he talks about... You know, they want to run the ball for 170 yards a game. They don't. After he talks about penalties and turnovers are going to be my department, and then they stink afterwards, yes, there's you can see the irony there.
2: Keely and I have said that they have been able to identify issues. Correcting them has been a different
3: yes. problem. Yeah. Um,
1: Jesper Smith says, looking ahead to next season, who's going to start at left tackle?
3: <laughs> I'm going to guess Cortland Ford will be the guy. I think they like Ford, man. you know, Monheim and stuff. But I, f- I think Ford's going to probably end up being there unless they get a transfer and they'll probably be on the market for a transfer. I would. I
2: think that's the – on the roster right now, I think that's your best guess. I would have said Liam Jimmins, you know, coming in this year. I was really high on him, but he has not played very well this season.
1: Yeah. Oh, David on YouTube says, how will the loss against Oregon affect recruiting?
3: Not much right now, but, you know – the whole take back the West thing when you were talking about hyping things up. Like, I don't think you can use that hashtag anymore. <laughs> so I, uh, yeah, I don't think it's going to help. I mean, you, you're trying to pass Oregon. Who's been ahead of you the last couple of classes. And that's not, it's not, doesn't matter for this class as much, but for, you know, 2022, I think it can be a thing.
2: Yeah. Take back the West next year. Yeah. It's a new, new hashtag. Uh,
1: Facebook, if you want to throw in some questions, uh, do that. I know you guys are, are chatty, but any questions, I'll be sure to try and read them.
3: NorCal Trojan says, is there any chance USC moves on from Clay? We've talked about that a zillion times. It's, it's very slim chance, I think, at this point.
1: Mark on YouTube said, Did USC ruin Drake Jackson by having him lose all that weight? He doesn't have the short area quickness to be a Nuosu, nu- you should know, nu- like 245 pound outside linebacker. What made him great was his athleticism relative to his size?
2: That's a tough question. You yeah. know, um, he didn't you know, accomplish what he did last year, obviously, a shorter season, but he had, did have some really big plays. Uh, you know, do you want him to put his hand down a little bit more? Maybe, maybe like mix it up a little bit more. I think because he basically the beginning of the year he put his hand down a few times and then basically just went to stand up almost entirely. So I think I would mix it up a little bit more. And you know when they go to their wide sets and you know when they bring in Nick Figueroa as the nose tackle and Hunter Eccles and Drake Jackson on the edges and have Raymond Scott in there, that dime package, the three-two-six that they have for long third down situations. Drake Jackson at nose tackle and use his speed there against an interior lineman, I think, would be a you know an interesting idea. They did some different things with him; uh, they used him in coverage and stuff. He got an interception, so it, it's a hard thing to 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 judge for me on this one because I can see it both ways.
1: Fat Bank on YouTube says, "Why has the bar been lowered for USC's football program?"
3: Ryan, you want to handle that one? <laughs> I mean, it's, it's poor leadership. I don't think the bar's been lowered from the fans' point of view, I think they have, you know, somewhat realistic expectations for it. It's really just been poor leadership in the athletic department, you know, hiring the athletic directors they have that were just incompetent and hiring head coaches that didn't have great resumes. So you, you had a job opening and you hired someone whose resume didn't really match the job opening and you have poor results. You kind of understand why you want to, you know, you need a CEO. You try to get an experienced CEO. USC didn't do that. And now you're seeing struggles.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, we had a question in the same vein uh, from Eric on Facebook who said, why is USC okay with mediocrity? I think from a, a school perspective, admin perspective.
3: I, I really think it's the leadership before. It's just you're kind of protecting your own interests. Like I think a lot of the fans just assumed, hey, the athletic director, the most important thing is he wants to do is win national championships. And they'll go out and hire a, a head coach that would do that. Well, you have previous administrations. There's a lot of people there that didn't want to get, they wouldn't have rehired Pete Carroll because Pete Carroll wielded too much power. So if you want to like literally think that the athletic director or the people in the department are feeling the same way I do hire, whoever you need to spend all the money you want to win a national championship. It hasn't been that way. I'm not sure if it, what it is now, I think they're, they're going in the right direction as far as leadership there goes, but that's not the way it was before. They wouldn't, didn't want to bring in a powerful head coach because They would wield a lot of power. And what did you end up hiring? Someone that is a a chain of command guy, in in his own words. Pete Carroll isn't a chain of command guy. Nick Saban, Dabo Sweeney, uh, they're not chain of command guys. Urban Meyer's not a chain of command guy. They wouldn't have hired someone that wasn't a chain of command guy. And now you see the results you're getting.
1: In that sense, Bobby says, why won't uh, affluent boosters or alumni step up?
3: I don't know, I'm not one. You're gonna have to ask them.
2: <laughs> yeah. Now. Whatever, I, Ryan. You're an, an influential booster,
3: not an affluent <laughs> booster.
2: <laughs> you're not a booster at all. <laughs> you have to sign that on the paperwork. I mean,
3: I don't know how rich you have to be to literally go. What do you need? A twenty-five million-dollar check that you are basically going to flush down the toilet just to move Yikes. on. Like that's a that's a big ask. You know, no matter how rich in a the pandemic. Guy is. Yeah. yeah. A, but the rich dudes in the pandemic sure, are probably still sure they're fine. Fine, but, but
2: you know. yes. But you then also have to pay the new coach and the new staff and all that. So it becomes a hefty, it's hefty not as uh, easy pay as bill it there. It
1: appears to be. I'm going to go in a two part question. One so Ryan can think about it, and then ask the second question to Shotgun so Ryan, you can think about it. First off, <laughs> Ryan Andrew says If SC season was a cooking dish, what would it be? Go ahead and think of your analogy. Okay. Shotgun, SNS Productions wanted to know Did AVT's draft stock drop after uh, the performance against Thibodeau?
2: It definitely is not boosted. However, if scouts also know that he was playing injured, that might play into it. And I don't think it'll drop necessarily um, if that is known by the scouting community. Uh, But, you know, like I said, he was a game time decision from what I was told going in. So that probably played into a little bit. Um, I did see him a couple times kind of hopping on his legs a little bit after plays. So I don't think that was false information that was provided to me. I don't think it helped him. I think this could have been a big, you know, opportunity to say, oh look, we think Kayvon Thibodeau is is gonna be a dude in the NFL and look he just stonewalled him over and over. That would be a great opportunity to add, you know, significant tape because he hasn't necessarily played that type of guy. So there are gonna be some question marks. So it may drop him a little bit.
3: As far as the what yeah. Neil this is tough, but I'm gonna the <laughs> only thing that popped in my head was like, remember that now this is not gonna date myself, those old Swanson TV dinners that you would have, that you would heat up. This is, you know, like you would have your little uh, tray in your living room watching your black and white TV or something, eating these, you know, TV dinner. You watched a black
1: and white TV? I run? think when I was
3: a little kid, we had one. Wow. So quite a while ago. Uh, yeah. Uh, it was like that. So there were some good parts to it, you know, like there was, you know, they weren't always great, but there were some good parts. Sometimes it wasn't heated all the way evenly. That little like apple crumble thing would be good at the end, but there was... It was a really mixed bag and it never was, it never looked, it wasn't as good as what it looked like on the box. So I feel that would be the food analogy.
1: Hmm. I like it. I'll approve of it. Um, David has an interesting question. I think you alluded to this on the podcast with Harvey Hyde. Ryan, he said, let's face it. If you had a son who was talented enough to think about the pros, would you send him to USC?
3: USC still puts guys in the pros. Uh, I mean, I feel if you have confidence in your own abilities, it's not like you're going there to get. Um, you don't feel like I'm going there to get developed, but I'm going there because USC has been a factory. They still have the most draft picks of anybody. Uh, So it's not like you're going to get seen if you're at USC. So there's still advantages that don't – it doesn't matter who the coach is if you want to send your kid to USC to go to the pros. So I wouldn't say don't send them to USC because you'll never go to the pros because that's just simply not true. But Mm -hmm. do you want to be, you know, developed? And, you know, there's some coaches where you might be at Iowa State and you have Matt Campbell that's, like, great at developing guys – but maybe you're not going to be as visible. Now, this year he was a lot more visible, but other years he wouldn't be. Um, so you have the visibility at USC instantly. Are you going to get the development? And if that's what you want for your son, then that might not be the, the right place to go.
2: Uh, depends on the position. Yeah.
3: Who the position coach is, yeah?
2: Short and sweet. Well, just the position, you know, and how well that position is being developed. If I have an office lineman, you know, probably not.
3: Yeah. Yeah. USC man three is, uh, what's the best case scenario for USC in 2021? Can they be successful... Uh, with next year's squad and build some momentum, or would it make a difference uh, for them to play poorly and uh, heat Clay's seat up some more?
1: Well, no one—the players aren't going to purposely tank. No, if yeah, that's what he's suggesting.
3: They don't yeah, have a long enough career to be purposely tanking. No, yeah. the Jets won today. Like they, you know, they might not get Trevor Lawrence anymore.
2: Yeah, um, what was that about? <laughs> but as far
3: as like, you that's know, a lot of Rams. Yeah, <laughs> that's so weird. Sam Darnold got the win. That's you know.
1: There you go.
3: But yeah, there's no tanking from, yeah. Yeah,
1: that's not a thing. Um, Ryan on YouTube said, we have four amazing running backs that any team in the country would love to have. With the lack of running game in this air raid offense, can we expect to see these guys start to transfer?
2: I will say there have been rumbles. Yeah. That's what I will
3: say. Wouldn't be shocked. It would not be surprising. It wouldn't be my response to that. No, you wouldn't Mm -hmm. be like, oh my God, one of the running backs from the run game that couldn't run transferred uh that you know and particularly
2: when it's expected that all four you know all four have eligibility remaining so all four could come back now if you see someone else transfer or you see someone go pro then maybe you decide all right now i'm gonna get the bulk of the carries or whatever but um having seen where none of them are like the star guy and there's no one that's like okay well i'm gonna step forward and become the star guy next year then yeah it wouldn't be surprising
3: NorCal Trojan on uh, Periscope says, my daughter is applying to the engineering school and Helton is causing me concerns. She won't be teaching any of your classes. Uh, I've gone through the engineering school. She'll be fine. So don't worry about it. It's for Turby now. You can go check it out.
1: There you go. Um, (laughs) Jonathan on YouTube says, should USC dread opening up 2021 against San San Jose State now?
3: Lol. They're ridiculous. But they're probably not going to have their coach because he's probably going to get hired. That's that's going to be the big question for them.
2: But yeah, they've definitely taken a step forward. You know, they had their most successful season ever.
3: They did, yeah.
1: Um, Beck says, is JT Daniels' success in a tougher conference uh, due to his own talent or the fact that he was not put in a place to succeed at USC?
3: He wasn't put in a place. I I mean, I said this a million times. Like, everyone's... The people that were harping on JT Daniels were like, he's terrible. Look what he did in 2018 when he was supposed to be in high school. Like, yeah, he ran the gumbo offense. For the half that we got to see him in the air raid, he looked great. The rest of the season, Keaton Slovis looked great. Matt Fink even looked great. I mean, it's just... Yeah, you put him in a good position. He wasn't put in a great position in 2018. There were so many USC fans that weren't having it. Now the same fans are like, see, we made the wrong choice. Like, you hated him before, so I don't get it. (laughs) But no, you got to put him in a good spot. Keen Slovis was put in a great spot. I mean, Graham Harrell, you can argue whatever. Like, he has a quarterback-friendly offense. It would have been better for JT Daniels if he got to run that. He didn't get to. Now you got to see him running, you know, uh, really revived that Georgia program. So yeah, that, I just feel bad because people badmouth them so much, and it was more about what they were running versus who the quarterback was.
2: Yeah, it wasn't Graham Harrell's fault, which is what the initial question uh, included.
1: Yeah. yeah, I tried to spiffy it up a little bit there, <laughs> shotgun. Uh, a hip hop lover, John, said Graham wants to run. Graham Harrell wants to run this air raid. Is there one game where we've seen the capability like the Big Twelve or even the SEC? Where, uh, we have the elite wideouts, right? Where's the explosive
2: plays? Where's the style points?
3: Valid question. You got a quarter of it for
2: Washington State. Um, you get quarters, but then when there's adjustments, there's, you know, it hasn't been a we have an answer every time. It's we got an answer for now. Oh, they made adjustments. Okay, it'll take a little bit of time. Graham Harrell makes some really good adjustments in game, but sometimes it just feels like it takes a little bit of time. It doesn't feel like they're ahead of the other team all the time. And that's when you hear the coaches always talk, well, we saw something different. So it took a little, little bit of time to adjust to it. It doesn't feel like USC is constantly ahead of the opposition. It feels like they're reactionary. And that might just be this offense. Graham Harrell always talks about it. It's execution base. So basically, whatever the defense does, you know they let the defense dictate what you're going to do. Okay, well, the defense was in two highs, so we need to run the ball. The defense was in one high, so we threw the ball all the time, even though it was the fourth quarter. Um, and they had nine in the box, but it was one high. So we knew we had man-to-man on the outside. Well, yeah. there's times when you need to dictate even is it can this offense ever dictate or is it just a reactionary offense and i think that's an issue with usc right now that's a problem that's why you need to be able to run the ball you need to be able to dictate that it didn't matter who well they had nine in the box we still were able to run it we pushed them out of the way now that's not happening with this offense. yeah
1: antonio says uh do you think that sports are a low priority among pac-12 universities or do you think that leadership is incompetent pac-12 has a ton of top academic universities
2: another good question and you know i, I think that you look at it as you start wondering is like is the pac-12 going the way of the ivy league where they're just de-emphasizing sports and you know what's important is the academics you know a lot of the pac-12 schools want to be the ivy league of the west but then you look at other sports and you know outside of the big money makers and even in basketball you know they're they're efforts made to to be really successful. But all the other sports, all the schools make really big efforts to be really successful. Baseball and, uh, you know, all the women's sports and stuff like that. That's why, that's why it's the Conference Champions because there's so many championships won here. It's just the football one that still is puzzling right now.
3: Yeah. USC Man 3 said, hey, it didn't mean tanking, but so this team is less talented in 2021. It's It will be a less talented team in 2021. I think the odds of winning the Pac-12 championship in 2021 will be significantly less than they were in 2020. Because I think, you know, pandemic, all that stuff aside, I don't think USC is going to be as talented. And they typically rely on out talented people.
1: I think the way you could put it is the adhesive that is the band-aid of talent over some of the mistakes will be less sticky <laughs> in further seasons. <laughs>
2: well, that's a good answer. I like it. I <laughs> well,
1: Thank you. A Super OC home said, what happened on the first interception? Was TV Tyler Vaughn's out-muscled or a flutter pass?
2: Um, it didn't seem like a flutter pass to me. I don't know what you guys thought, but it didn't seem like Slovis, he didn't step into his throw. He stepped forward and threw towards his right. So I feel like he just didn't, you know, if he moves his feet and maybe that's because the pocket was being pushed on him a little bit. Uh, but if he turns his shoulders and throws it outside, it just was the accuracy wasn't there. I mean, the placement of the ball, um, some people said it was pass interference, but I think that was just regular hand fighting. He just he should have thrown it way more outside, and he threw it way too inside.
1: Mm-hmm. We have two more callers on the line. Oh, so, really? Yeah, so I'm going to get to them. It's Oh, it's 830. Hello. Yeah,
3: let's wrap it up. Yeah,
1: we got to wrap it up. Sorry, guys. Uh, first off, let's go to, I believe, Rob from Santa Cruz. Hello, you're live on television. What's your question for the team?
5: Uh, no question. Uh, I just want to say I'm a an old-time follower of the Trojans back in the days of John Arnett. That gives away my age. But I just want to comment that uh, Oregon was darn lucky that number 29 was not playing. And I think if he was playing, they would have beaten Oregon. Hmm. And that's my comment.
3: Thanks, Thanks, Ron. The old-time Trojan.
2: I love it. Yeah.
1: We love our, our old-timers.
2: Could have been different. You know, if Vi was in the game, he does provide a little bit different aspect at the run-back position. But I thought Stephen Carr and Marquis Step ran the ball well early, and then USC didn't really give them much opportunity with the offensive line. So I don't know how much Vi would have changed there.
3: Yeah, I mean, he, he took over in the UCLA game. <laughs> I know, he kind of, that's a lot to ask.
1: Though. Yeah, I mean. the individual effort in UCLA, that made a difference, but The offensive knows?
2: line was giving... Uh, the running backs in the UCLA game, 1.9 yards before contact. Like I said, in this game, there were 25 carries and there were seven yards total after yeah. before contact. So game. with the vibe so, made
3: of much of a difference, it's, it's, yeah, it's that's, hard, to that's hard for me to believe.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, already, I'm going to bring up – hold on, sorry. We've got a little bit of a, a traffic jam. I'm going to bring up Dave from Iowa who had a question about – I believe it was the pod you had on – the emergency pod. Dave, is that correct?
4: Uh, yes, Ryan, uh, towards the end of the emergency podcast, you and Gerard were uh, focused on the whole transfer portal situation. So I'm curious, after this uh, disappointing loss, do you think some of those signees will, or, or, I mean, like in a sense, not uh, in a sense, like maybe second guessing their decision. And instead of, you know, trying to get out of the letter of intent, enroll at USC for one day and then enter the transfer portal since they would be um, immediately immediately eligible. I do your f- thoughts.
3: Yeah, thanks, Dave. No, I don't think that's going to be a thing. I think at that point, if that's early on, I don't think you need to, like, waste your one transfer. I mean, you could try to get out of it. But we haven't heard yeah. of anybody wanting to get out of their uh, letter of intent. Uh, it's just mostly be guys that have been around the team. Maybe they weren't playing, uh, things like that. that. You know, when when you get a frustrating loss that, like this, it can help you know hurt the team morale. They've been quarantined for all that time. They opted out of a bowl game. There You know, there's going to be some upset uh, players, There usually is every year, even on good teams. You know, you see people transfer out. It doesn't matter. Like, not everyone's going to be happy on the team. But, you know, you might see a few more uh, this year than we've seen before. But we'll have to wait and see.
1: Mm-hmm. As far as talent coming up, um, I believe Akai said, who are the young safeties that USC will play if uh, Telenoa and or IPM leave?
2: Uh, you saw Kalana Makala in there uh, in, in the game. Max Williams, you could move him backwards if you wanted to. Britton Allen and then uh, Chase Williams are your other guys that are in there. So there's some options, you know, who they like there. You know, I thought Britton Allen might get a little bit more run than he did this year. Dorian Hewitt has played that nickel position, the nickel safety spot. So, you know, if you decide that Max Williams is a guy you want to move back, then you can put him there as well. So there's, there's some options for them if, you know, IPM and Talanoa to leave. I know LC are a good buddy. Hunter Echols' father said that I should stop it with the pro talk because SE doesn't have a player on that team that's NFL ready, but Elijah Vera Tucker, he might be right. But doesn't that doesn't mean that... doesn't stop people
3: from going. Exactly. Yeah.
2: That doesn't mean that <laughs> yeah. there won't be people leaving thinking they're ready, which we've seen time and time again. There's
1: always at least one.
2: <laughs> There's always the uh, uh, George Farmer.
1: Yeah, that's what I was <laughs> alluding to. Um now, we had a question about, uh, as far as NFL talent, Alexis says, who on the USC roster gets drafted first? Elijah Veritaker. Yeah. yeah, No question. Um, Matt Simmons says, could you see uh, Miller Moss or Jackson Dart coming in and taking the starting job from Slovis?
2: You wouldn't think that, but Slovis has got to clear his head and you know get back in the game type of thing. Yeah. You know, he, needs, he needs to show some improvement over this offseason, um, and hopefully we'll, he will, you know, the things we've seen from him in the past – he seems like the type of kid that will be able to kind of flush this and go forward. Uh, if so, then he's the guy. He, he's the guy that Graham Harrell really trusts. The difference would be if Graham Harrell leaves yeah. – you know, what type of offense comes in and yeah. what does the new offense coordinator think of the all three quarterbacks? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Anything
3: short of Graham Harrell leaving, there's no way. Like, yeah, he would have to have his arm amputated for Graham Harrell not to start him <laughs> next year. So.
1: Well, we don't hope for that, obviously. No, we don't want that, obviously.
3: Uh, terrible.
1: Yeah, well, just as you throw it out, I have to put it out there and knock on like, that's <laughs> what it would do. like. <laughs> yes, I know. If, you know Something could, like, very he, drastic Yeah, he could, bat. like, be
3: hobbled, uh, you know, lipping around because he sprains his ankle really badly, but he would still be play you know, He's Graham Harrell's guy. He's going to be the starter.
1: Yes. Ruben says, uh, how does the lack of an efficient running game affect recruiting among top-tier talent? We used to be running back you. Now, not so much.
2: I mean, really, really good running backs want to go somewhere where you're going to carry the ball more than you know six times a game, which has happened you know, for USC with individual backs. Now, if you're running the ball and your running backs get 15 carries, your primary guy, then I think you can still recruit. At that but you need to be able to run the ball and you need to show the running backs um that you're going to move they're going to have some holes to run through as an offensive line and some offensive linemen you know are better at run blocking and therefore prefer to go to a system where they're going to run block more so you may can lose out on some offensive linemen in that way as well
3: i mean i had a, someone pointed out on twitter like lsu's running the air raid they ran the air raid basically last year you know that's what's going on like usc can do it and I'm like, yeah, last year they had what edwards Allaire ran for over 1,400 yards. He had like 200-something carries. Like, they ran the football too. I mean, look what Najee Harris is doing. With, that's an Alabama offense that could throw the ball every down if they wanted to, and they still have, you know, stud running backs that are running the football. You need, you need a little bit more of that balance, and USC's just been so heavy on the pass. And this year, the pass hasn't worked as well. Last year it did, and this year it's not. So not having a run game, I think, has been significant.
1: Brandon Jones says, "What's going on in the weight room? Is the O line even the strongest position group like they're supposed to be?" It's
3: I think uh, Parker Lewis is the strongest. I believe. <laughs> uh, yeah. You're
1: really pro Parker Lewis.
3: <laughs> Him and yeah, the, the putter and the kicker are both pretty buff. I don't know. I, we, we're not in the weight room. I don't know. Like it's and we yeah. can't
1: see practice either, so it's not like yeah. we can weigh in on uh,
3: on the weigh-ins.
1: Oh, well done! A Trojan Trojan said, "So if we aren't going, so if we did go bowling, USC would have played Texas in the Allen Bowl." He's very upset. Why are we not going bowling? The best thing we can do is get revenge on Texas. That will make things a lot better.
3: I mean, the the Pac-12 championship game was an opportunity for revenge and Mm -hmm. an opportunity to try to take back the West, and that that didn't come to fruition. Is it worse if you would lose to Texas versus? getting revenge on Texas or whatever. Uh, I don't know. But, yeah, that that looks like that would have been the the matchup because, uh, you know, basically Colorado took USC's place.
2: More um, would have been a fun matchup. Yes. A sports but, girl. But though. also, it should be pointed out real quick, that it was basically going to be, from what, what I've been told at least, it was basically going to be the players fly in the night before the, or maybe a day before the game, and then they're basically sequestered in the hotel, and then they go to the stadium, they play, get back on the plane, and leave. So it's not like it's the same bowl experience for the players. Yeah, so if you're looking for quality of life for your players, the student athletes, it, it wasn't going to be. It was going to be a work, you know, a business trip, as they like to say, but especially. And bowl game is supposed to be fun. You're supposed to go, you know, last year you go to SeaWorld, you go to uh, the zoo, you, you do those type of things. It's supposed to be about tourism as well and kind of experiencing the city. This year is just another road game.
3: Mm-hmm. The weird thing would be, though, like if you think about USC schedule this year was sort of like, you're quarantined in your house with like, you know, a family, maybe it was a family of five, and you're like quarantined and just the five of you together, and you were going to get this opportunity to go visit like a friend's house or something, and you didn't have it at all. And that, you go know, going to play Texas would have been like, wow, they have all these different, they're doing things differently than us. It's just been this kind of unique experience in this year where everything was just sort of like, you know, your, your small group of people. It was like, you know, all the Pac-12, we all were doing the same things. This was a chance to kind of reach out of that. And, uh, you know, I, that's why I think it's a missed opportunity.
1: But is it really that different if you're just showing up and playing them and leaving? It's not like... You get to
2: play,
3: you know... Uh...
1: No, no, I just meant to the point of, like, you get to evaluate what other people are doing.
3: Yeah, I mean, you get to see them and, like, you know... Uh, yeah, I guess. The biggest thing high.
2: of missing out on the bowl game is the practices. The practices for the young players. But the then you go, well, would USC actually take advantage of them? Yeah, fair point. That's a
1: good question. Sports Girl 3-5 says, how likely is it that IPM and Hufunga leave? Shoddy, Eagle Eye Shoddy, as we were setting up for instant analysis, noticed two Trojan players standing underneath the goalpost in the end zone. And it happened to be Talnoa Hufunga and Isaiah Polamau. And it looked very similar to me to when Dory Jackson kind of took a lap around the Coliseum during his la- after his last game. He was going to declare after that. It seemed very much like we're taking it in for one last time. Whether or not that was one of them taking it in or both taking it in, it definitely looked like that. Chuck,
2: and I know you want to jump in here. Yeah, I mean, we saw them down there and could recognize them by the hair, you know, even <laughs> though they went a long way. But they spent a good ten minutes probably that we noticed them that they were down there yeah. just just chatting while the you know the field crew was working on the field and stuff. Um, so it did seem like they were you know having a heart to heart and you know with your buddy type of thing, and maybe they were even discussing whether or not they should leave or stay. Uh but they when they were getting to the tunnel, they shared a hug and it was pretty, you know, yeah. a, you know, a long hug. Um so that leads me to believe that somebody's gone. I don't know if it's one, I don't know if it's both, but yeah. somebody is gonna be gone. That that pairing will be not be back for USC next year. Yeah. Now that's completely reading into a situation, but Huggate. Hug? No, I hate (laughs) hate anything with gate. That's the way I said it. (laughs) Um, But, you know, that's completely reading into a situation. But Talano Funga has made so many plays this year that he has caught people's eye, at least. Now, does that mean that scouts love him? Don't know. He's still a guy that's kind of a tweener. Don't know exactly what position you play him at the next level.
1: Uh, One last question from me. Actually, two, I lied. Uh, Brandon Jones (laughs) says, How is Kyle Ford doing with his recovery?
2: Seems like he's doing really well yep. from the videos he's been posting and stuff. Good you know, to see. He's up running full speed on the uh, treadmill and stuff up over you know, 18, 20 miles an hour, whatever it is that, that he runs. Uh, so positive sign there. Looking forward to seeing him back on the field. He's a guy that's been putting in a lot of work this season.
1: Mm-hmm. And then a question we've gotten from multiple people, but it comes from Andrew. Do we get tunnel vision every Sunday moving forward? What is the schedule like going forward?
3: Sunday away. Yeah, so no more Wednesday shows, I think. I think we'll, if you guys are cool with it, we'll stick with uh, stick with Sunday shows. Okay.
1: But we'll be taking a, a holiday hiatus.
3: I think we're going to take a holiday hi- hiatus, yeah. There, and, uh, there's nothing to cover.
2: We'll <laughs> see about those NFL playoff games coming up on Sundays.
1: Oh, true. We'll see. <laughs> Look out for Twitter. We'll let you know. Yeah. This is a, a decision on the fly. But we like like Ryan said and what Shotgun said earlier too. It's like a cliff. We were heading in the signing day, Pac-12 championship, maybe festival season's over. It was yeah. like zoom zoom. Yeah. So we're still getting our bearings too. So, so. it dropped
3: off, yeah. This will probably be the last one of the year. I'm guessing we're not gonna do one until the and then we'll kinda reset and figure out yeah. where we go from there.
1: Signing day number two, uh American Bowl, when people announce where they're going, there will be things to talk about. Don't worry about that. But since it is the end of a season, which is weird to say, thank you all for watching uh throughout every week. We love talking to you guys. We love breaking things down. Uh Having your engagement on the shows makes it really fun. And we love talking to you guys, whether it's by phone or by comments. Y'all are great and funny and, and we love uh in, interacting with you. So thanks for watching. And guys, any final thoughts before we wrap it up?
3: No, yeah, thanks everyone. It's been a weird, <laughs> wacky, you know, year yeah. that we, you know, we didn't know what was going on half the time. We're pretty lucky that we've got to cover of the games we did. It did end a lot quicker than we thought, but thanks for sticking with us. We had, you know, over 500 people, I think, watching live uh, tonight, so that's awesome. Thanks so much. We'll keep it going through the off season and answer questions. Who knows? Maybe there's going to be some big news. I don't know. We'll see. Um, it's USC football. Just it's always going to be something. There's going to be some drop, you know, drop everything story that happens and uh, transfers. Whatever it is, guys transferring in out. Who knows? But we'll be here uh, covering it all. Make sure you check out uscfootball.com and, and watch us right here on Tunnel Vision. So thank you for that. Yep, Shadi.
2: Yeah, it's gonna, it's going to be a interesting off season to see what USC does. Um, are they going to make any changes to try to progress, or are they okay with being where they're at? That's the big question. Um, when our next show is. To be TBD, maybe there's some breaking news that forces us to have a show. Yep. Or maybe just when we get to talk to Helton again because USC canceled him speaking to us tonight like he normally would after a game. So yeah. we'll see uh, if we have to wait till signing day to talk to him or if we get to talk to him before then.
1: Yep. Alrighty. Happy holidays, everyone. Be safe. Be merry. Uh, we'll see you, I guess, in 2021 unless something happens. But that's going to wrap it up for Tunnel Vision. That's Shotgun. That's Ryan. I'm Keely. We'll see y'all next time.
0: Bye.